Most of us have heard the Christmas song, Santa Baby, uh, a Christmas classic. And though the song is tongue-in-cheek, the song does capture materialism pretty well. A mink coat, a 54 convertible, a yacht, a deed to a platinum mine, a duplex, some checks, some Christmas ornaments from Tiffany and Company, and a ring. Uh, that's some Christmas list. Uh, now, very few people would say that they believe that money can buy happiness. But many work and live as if it can. Why is it that transient and perishable things can become so life-consuming? How uncertain it is to trust in things that can be gone in 60 seconds. The New York Daily News reported that Monique Zordon, a model and actress, sued Traveler's Insurance Company for $1 million. Why? They wouldn't pay her claim. See, Zordon had returned home and was horrified to discover that moths had not only infected her, her apartment, but had eaten through two couches, area rugs, and a lot of her expensive clothing and accessories. And it was bad timing, too, because Zordon was scheduled to attend the Oscars. How could she attend the Oscars without an expensive dress? Well, my family, we used to, to own a 2005 town and and country, a Chrysler town and country, and it had some problems, and so we took it to our mechanic at Whitmer Auto, and they notified us that the rust was so bad that it had eaten through the rocker panels, which are essential to the structure of the van, and so we were getting a new van. So we, we drove our van into the parking lot at Faulkner's uh, in Harrisburg to pick up our new van, and the guy was like, I'll just take this back to the car crusher. I, I mean the back lot, and he made a joke about it. So that, that's funny. That's how bad our van was. Back in 2012, uh, after Apple CEO Steve Jobs had died, a burglar broke into his unoccupied Palo Alto home and stole tens of thousands of dollars of possessions, including Tiffany & Company jewelry, crystal champagne, iPhones, iPads, iPods, Macs, even Jobs' wallet and Jobs' driver's license. Moths, rust, theft. Materialism is inherently unsatisfying because it fixates on that which is transient and perishable. Materialism is a deceitful master because though it is outward appealing to the flesh, outwardly appealing to the flesh, it promises what it can't deliver and leaves its victims disappointed and confused. We need a better master than money. Now here's the point for this morning. Jesus died and rose again to be your sole master whom you attentively serve with undivided devotion. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not endure the cross and raise from the dead to be co-master with wealth. The cross and resurrection occurred so that Jesus Christ would have supremacy in all aspects of your life. As our sole master, Jesus deserves our attentive service and deserves our undivided devotion. Excuse me, a, a bit of review. 
as we continue to hear the Sermon on the Mount, we must remember these four simple things. The Sermon on the Mount exhibits the righteousness of the king, expounds the ethics of the kingdom, exposes our sin, guilt, and desperate need of God's grace in Christ, and explains how believers should seek to obey their heavenly Father by the Spirit's power in gratitude for His grace. So the better we understand the Sermon on the Mount, the better we understand who Jesus is, what His kingdom is like, how much we need Him, and how to serve Him. Again, my point this morning is Jesus died and rose again to be your sole master whom you attentively serve with undivided devotion. And I have five points from the text which help substantiate that one main point. Number one, with Christ as our sole master, we are discontent with materialism. Discontent with materialism. Materialism is when someone is preoccupied with money and possessions, and at the same time is disinterested and, or, or you could say dismissive of spiritual realities and pursuits. Jesus taught his disciples in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, though... Uh, disciples of Jesus should work very hard, should invest wisely, should provide for their families, should enjoy what God provides. They are not to lust after or trust in riches. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And that's from one of, one of history's richest men, King Solomon. Materialism is unsatisfying. There is a more satisfying master. Jesus explained why it's futile to lay up earthly treasures for, for yourself. Moths, rust, and, and thieves ruin and destroy earthly possessions. Moths can eat your favorite sweater. Rust can take your beautiful truck right into the car crusher. Years ago, Christina's CDs, uh, her, her CD case was stolen right out of her car. What do you have that is truly indestructible? Can anything that you have, that you own, truly care for your body and soul? Jesus taught his disciples to look beyond the, the widespread assumptions of the world. Jesus was getting at the heart of the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Materialism is idolatry, which distracts people from knowing and loving God, the supreme treasure. And like in Exodus, in that great Exodus event of God's deliverance of Israel, just like that, Jesus redeemed his disciples from enslavement to sin and then taught them how to avoid idolatry and to serve God. He taught them not to hoard earthly treasures for themselves, 
but rather to set their hearts on God alone, giving their lives to gospel ministry and giving their lives to eternal rewards. Let's not forget the last six commandments either. When when someone lives their life to amass earthly treasures, earthly wealth for themselves, they are at the same time not loving others the way that God intends. Materialism is the enemy of true love. The pursuit of treasures on earth, that pursuit destroys marriages, leaves children neglected, breaks families apart, controls employers who misuse their employees for their own material gain, corrupts politicians to oppress their people, and on and on. It is human nature, human nature, to serve God's good gifts instead of serving God himself. And we call that idolatry. Materialism is idolatry and hatred of God and neighbor. Dr. Dan Doriani aptly said, few people set out to live for wealth. No one wants to serve wealth. We want wealth to serve us. Yet the love of money can gradually take control of our hearts. This is the danger, the false God that Jesus addresses, end of quote. The false God. Why would someone lay up for themselves treasures on earth? Well, lots of reasons. Pride, self-image, self-worth, greed, fear, security, pleasure, power, laziness, compulsivity, idolatry, and none of them, none of the reasons to lay up earthly treasures are God-centered. Brothers and sisters, materialism is a constant temptation for us. But because we have received God's grace in Christ, we know we have something better than earthly possessions, something more fulfilling to live for. Read, sometime, read James 5, 1 through 6. It's a, it's a startling warning to rich people which uses similar themes to verses 19 through 24. Consider Paul's warning from 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Materialism and idolatry are not to be trifled with. We need to repent of our materialism and idolatry and refocus on the lasting things of the kingdom. Saints, we have a greater possession in heaven, greater treasures to live for, and materialism is so unsatisfying for us. And we know this, we've tasted, we've tasted that. Jesus, our sole master, has given us a better and indestructible treasure to pursue. Number two, number two, with Christ as our sole master, We are committed to eternal treasures. Jesus preached 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, the treasures of heaven are not susceptible to moths, rust, and thieves. They, they are better and indestructible treasures. What are treasures in heaven and how do we lay them up for ourselves? Well, we need, we need an answer to that very good question. If, if we drop down in the text to what Jesus said a little later in the sermon, we get a bit more clarity. Later in verse 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I think there's a connection there. Um, we lay up for ourselves better and indestructible treasures in heaven when we seek first the kingdom of God and we seek first his righteousness. See, as, as Paul said in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So God's law lays out beautifully what righteousness looks like practically and Jesus is the exemplar of faithful law-keeping. We store up heavenly wealth when we devote ourselves to loving God and neighbor as Jesus does. I think Paul explains how to lay up treasures in heaven in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So there you have it, I think. So, so first... Put down your pride and hope in God, which assumes true faith. Out from true faith and hope in God comes doing good, being rich in good works, being generous and, and ready to share, ready to give. When someone receives the riches of God's grace, well, they are ready to share their riches with others with generous hearts. Cheerful and generous hearts. If we are to be good, uh, I'm sorry, rich in good works. If we are to be rich in good works, what are good works? Good works are those things that we do out of true faith and hope in God. Um, hope in Christ. In accordance with God's law and for God's glory and the good of our neighbor. So, we receive the grace of God through true faith in Jesus Christ. The law becomes then our celestial wealth accumulation plan, our investment plan. It, it, it defines for us what kingdom living and righteousness looks like practically so we can, by the Spirit, follow God's law unto our eternal gracious reward. Jesus told the, the rich young man in Matthew 19, 
that he would have treasure in heaven if he sold his possessions and gave to the poor. He didn't do it. His wealth, but not just his wealth, his love of his wealth or idolatry prevented him from loving God and his neighbor. He, he could not have been committed to eternal treasures because he had not tasted of God's generous grace in the person of Christ. He was living for this world, not for eternal treasures. He couldn't. He just didn't taste the grace of God. Luke 12, 32 through 34, they are helpful verses in understanding how grace inevitably leads to gratitude. Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's sovereign grace. And then to emphasize, excuse me, gratitude for that grace, Jesus continued, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When God powerfully rescues someone by his grace, their heart belongs to him. And he sets them on a path of selfless generosity and eternal gracious rewards. What what makes a person... Um, committed to stockpiling eternal treasures while receiving the, the kingdom of their father by grace. Dr. Doriani explained, we lay up treasures in heaven by investing in God's causes and God's people. The effects of such investments last forever. We store treasures in heaven by worshiping God, growing in knowledge and grace and growing in love for God and neighbor. Financially, we store treasures in heaven by using money for kingdom causes, by giving money to the church, to missions, to Christian schools, to the poor. When we store treasures in heaven by investing our money in God's people, our investment will bear dividends for eternity. That's very helpful. And D.A. Carson included doing righteous deeds, suffering for Christ's sake, forgiving one another, deeds of kindness, and willingness to share. Saints, are you investing your life in these better and indestructible things? You, you may be working really hard and, and setting money aside towards retiring to the good life. Or, or, or getting that vacation home or, or building that bigger barn to hold more of the toys that you're going to buy. My question to you is this, who are you investing in? Would, would people be able to look at your life and say, there is someone who loves the church and invests in their brothers and sisters in Christ, there is someone working for eternal treasures. Would they say that about your life by watching you, seeing what you value? Saints, I think we miss out on wonderful blessings and rewards in this life and in the next life to the extent that we have divided devotion. Devotion. 
We can't serve God and money. And when we try, we miss out. Or worse, we perish with our possessions. There is a a deeper satisfaction awaiting us the more we commit ourselves to amassing eternal treasures in heaven by loving God and our neighbor more fully and more deeply. Jesus died and rose again to be your soul only. Master, not co-master. And so attentive service and undivided devotion is due him, are due him, alone. That's for him. And they must be our life's ambition. And you know what, saints? God is graciously working it out in us. He's helping us in that pursuit. Number three, with Christ as our sole master, our hearts are with him. Jesus said in verse 29, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What did Jesus treasure when he was on earth? Where was his heart? Jesus treasured his father and his father's will for him. He, his, his bloody cross proves it. Jesus' heart was with his father. His bloody cross proves it. Moses, way back, relayed to Israel, For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then if you advance into the New Testament, the Apostle Peter drew upon Old Testament covenant language, including that text, Deuteronomy 7, 6, and said to God's New Testament church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus also endured the cross and rose again because he treasures us, dear brothers and sisters, his church, his people throughout the ages, Jews and Gentiles alike in the one true church of Christ throughout the ages. Christ treasures the church of all time, enough to endure the horrors of hell to redeem us body and soul for himself. And so our hearts are with him because we are his treasure and he is ours. Titus 2.14 is profound. Paul wrote that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Why on earth would we give up our lives, uh, the, the quest of storing up all of the possessions of earth and the pleasures of earth, to instead store up treasures in heaven. Why would anyone do that? Because our Christ redeemed us for himself, that we would be a people with hearts set on him, people zealous to do good works for his glory and the good of our neighbor. Our hearts are with him because his heart is with us. 
Now, what does heart mean? We can get confused with terms. So what does heart mean here? Our heart is our inner self, which includes our desires, emotions, thoughts, and will. Our body follows our heart. If Christ purchased us with his precious blood, then we belong to him, body and soul, including heart. Our desires belong to him. Our emotions belong to him. Our thoughts belong to him. Our will belongs to him. When God and his eternal rewards are our supreme treasure, then our desires are with him. Our thoughts are with him. Our choices are with him. Our actions are with him. Our educations, marriages, families, bank accounts, investments, careers, possessions, everything is with him. And if we belong to him and our hearts are with him there, then our lives here must reflect that. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Answer that and you know where your heart is. Is your heart here? Is your heart there? If your heart is there with Christ, your desires, priorities, and lifestyle here will reflect, will reflect that, will, will reflect his desires, his priorities, his lifestyle there, which will be what the world needs here. The world doesn't need another materialistic religious person trying to syncretize Christ and materialism. The world doesn't need the prosperity gospel. The world needs the gospel. Notice, notice the word for in verse 21. It links us back to what Jesus just said. Verse 21 is the rationale for verses 19 and 20. Why not hoard as much as you can in this life? Why not? Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what determines your priorities and lifestyle. John Calvin said, wherever men imagine the greatest happiness to be, there they are surrounded and confined. And Calvin went on to say, and listen closely because this is insightful, if honor is reckoned the supreme good, the minds of men must be wholly occupied with ambition. If money, covetousness will immediately predominate. If pleasure, it will be impossible to prevent men from sinking into brutal indulgence. We have all a natural desire to pursue happiness. And the consequence is that false imaginations carry us away in every direction. But if we were honestly and firmly convinced that our happiness is in heaven, it would be easy for us to trample upon the world, to despise earthly blessings by the deceitful attractions of which the greater part of men are fascinated and to rise towards heaven. End of quote. Of course, we all want to be as happy as we possibly can be. We want to be most happy. But we are easily tricked. But when our hearts are with him, 
Our struggle against the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things becomes stronger and stronger. The fight inside us becomes stronger and stronger as we draw closer to our final victory over the struggle against worldly desires and closer to our our gaining of the eternal rewards that God has stored up for us. Jesus died and rose again to be your sole master whom you attentively serve with undivided devotion. Number four, with Christ as our sole master, our eyes are set upon him who fills us with light, reshapes our desires, orders our priorities, and guides our steps. The language of verses 22 and 23 can be tricky. I struggled to understand this uh, before, and I think I have it. Jesus says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness! So first, the eye is sometimes synonymous with the heart. So what we set our eye upon is what we set our heart upon. Wherever our eye is fixed, there our heart is fixed. Whatever our our eye treasures, our heart treasures. A second... Imagine the eye being a lamp through which light shines into your body. Uh, Not that the eye itself is the light, but is the lamp through which the light shines uh, to, to give your body light. I found this one study note particularly helpful, and it helped me understand Jesus here. It says this, Just as a healthy eye lets in light to guide an entire person, an eye focused on God will see clearly everything spiritual. Just as a blind person sees only darkness, one worshiping possessions will get everything wrong from God's perspective. End of quote. So so follow this now. If our eye is set on material possessions in this life, The light of materialism is shining into our inner self and directing our body to live accordingly. Our our eye, our focus, our worship of material possessions is coming in and then determining how we live. The idolatry and materialism of our eye or our heart determines how we live. On the other hand, If our eye is healthy, if our eye or heart is set on Christ, then Christ will give light to our inner self and our body will follow after him. Friends, if if our eye is set on storing up earthly treasures, the darkness in us is indeed very great. Greed, self-indulgence, self-gratification, jealousy, envy, covetousness, idolatry, materialism. How great is our darkness and sin and selfishness? We need the light of Christ to shine in us to fill us with light so that our whole body will pursue his will. 
If, if our eye is set on him, if our heart is set on him as our sole master, our exclusive master, the only one, he fills us with his light, reshapes our desires, orders our priorities, and guides our steps according to God's will. One source said, the person's whole life will be determined by the kind of light the eye lets in. That's good. So let me ask you, upon what are you setting your eyes and what light is entering into you? Materialism? Self-indulgence? Christ? Truth? Jesus died and rose again so that your eyes, so that your eyes would be on him alone. Number five, with Christ as our soul master, serving money is unfavorable and undesirable because Christ is a better and indestructible master and treasure. Jesus comes right out and says it bluntly. It is not difficult to understand what Jesus means here. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. There it is, plain and simple. Right out there, easy to understand. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It is a wicked and monstrous lie because it tries to syncretize the cross and resurrection of Christ with materialism. The prosperity gospel is deceiving people toward a false God with promises of material prosperity, which is training them to love money and to hate the true God, to be devoted to money and to despise the true God. One of my, my favorite hip-hop artists, you know, I think, that, that I like hip-hop, is Shylin out of Philly. And he's exactly right when he spits out these bars. This rap is profound, so please listen closely. He says, My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You want to know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I yell. If you're living your best life now, you're heading for hell. That's really good. And it's got a great beat. Saints, Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. He is the end. He is the treasure. We cannot pretend that we can serve Christ while clutching all our possessions as if that's where our hope and comfort and joy are. Jesus came right out and said it explicitly, you cannot serve God in money. That means no one does it. No one serves God in money because it's impossible to do. People serve either God or money, not both. But dear saints, the reality is we are still in the flesh and our devotion is often divided. We serve Christ, 
But then there's this lingering love affair with the things of this world. We're not serving the things of the world. We're serving Christ, but there's this, this flesh pull to the things of the world. Unbelievers, be clear, they are not divided. They serve wholeheartedly the God of this world. They're not interested in, in the true God. They pursue earthly treasures to their own destruction. Believers, on the other hand, the saints, the brothers and sisters, the children of God, believers, on the other hand, are divided. They, our eyes shift. Um, we love Christ, but not as we should, not enough. We serve Christ, but we serve him inattentively sometimes. Uh, we, we are devoted, but it is a divided devotion. We belong to Christ. We are truly his. That is the reality. But we often set our eyes on earthly treasures and act as if that's where our, our treasure is. We act inconsistently with who we truly are. Our worship is mixed with idolatry until Christ returns, until he finally brings sin to death. Sin is dead in us, but it is still being worked out. until. So, so this is our daily war, a war, and you need to take comfort in this, is a daily war, but it is a war that our God and our Savior is helping us to fight and helping us to win. Our Christ was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, buried in a tomb, and rose again three days later in order to give us victory over our love affair with stuff. We have victories along the way in this life where we make strides ahead and, and the Spirit is helping us make progress and we're becoming more like Jesus and we will have the final victory when Christ, the conquering king, returns and makes us whole, makes our affections whole, our will whole, our, our thoughts whole, all of us whole, body and soul whole. I agree with Calvin. It is not impossible that those who are rich shall serve God. But whoever gives himself up as a slave to riches must abandon the service of God, for covetousness makes us the slaves of the devil. I think we should carefully consider that. Covetousness makes us the slaves of the devil. Saints, we need to be very careful living in the Disneyland of the world with our affluence as American Christians because our sinful proclivities are idolatrous and covetous and constantly pull us towards materialism. So we are, we, we are tempted, I, I think, all the time to try to syncretize materialism with our Christian faith. We, we are tempted to justify ourselves with many, many excuses, but we must search our hearts to ensure that we are not trying to serve God and money. To play that foolish game of, of co-masters is to hate God. Brothers and sisters, we have tasted the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we know well that serving money is unfavorable and undesirable for us because Christ is a better and indestructible master and treasure. We have something better to live for, saints. 
Proverbs 11.4 is really interesting. It says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. That's interesting. When you stand before Almighty God on the last day, will your riches, possessions, clothing save you from the fury of God's righteous wrath? Will your riches profit you when the verdict of God is pronounced? Will your righteousness suffice? No, no. One thing makes you justified and happy on that day, the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. One thing will rescue you from death on the last day, the righteousness of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ credited to you by grace through faith. There is your eternal life and happiness. Jesus died and rose again to be your righteousness on that day so that you are safe in him, dear church, forever, safe in him forever from the judgment of God. You will not have any wealth on that day unless you have the wealth of the righteousness of Christ in your account. So please hear me this Easter morning. Jesus did not endure the cross and raise from the dead to co-master your life with wealth. The cross and resurrection occurred so that Jesus Christ would have supremacy in all aspects of your life. Jesus died and rose again to be your sole master, your only master, your exclusive master whom you attentively serve with undivided devotion. Moths, rust, thieves, they can take everything that you have. Everything that you own, everything that you enjoy in, in, in this life. But they can never take Christ from you. They can never take the love of God from you. They can never take the eternal, gracious reward awaiting you, dear saints, on the other side. Can't take that. If you find yourself trying to serve God in money, you will end up realizing in the end that money was your true God. Money makes a lousy God. It will leave you alone at inopportune times. When you need it, it won't be there. But Christ promises to never leave you or forsake you. He is better. He is a better and indestructible master. By the Spirit, brothers and sisters, let us serve Him alone with attentive service and undivided devotion.